All right, if you've got your Bibles, let's turn to Romans chapter 1, and we can stand and read this one verse together, and then we're going to look at the introductions of uh, several of Paul's letters. That's a little bit non-typical approach for me, but we'll uh, be looking at some introductory remarks that Paul makes as we talk about the power of encouragement through giving thanks, because there seems to be something Paul enjoys putting in these letters at the very beginning, and we see it here in this letter, the first letter we come to in the New Testament, his letter to the Romans, and he says, first, verse 8, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of the news of your faith. The news of your faith is what? It's being reported in all the world. First, I thank my God. It starts out with a word of thanksgiving, and we'll see him do that again and again. Father, help us to understand the importance of giving thanks and expressing that thanks to others. Lord, may it be something that revolutionizes even how we live today, that we might be people of gratitude so we can be people of kingdom influence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. You know, this day uh, we call in this nation Thanksgiving Day is a day of worship all around the world. The Lord's Day, the first day of the week, as they begin to do in the, the early church. They, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, corporate worship in the church began to take place on the first day of the week. And so, because uh, people on the other side of the world got up earlier than us, uh, or at least got up before we did. Thousands have already worshipped in places like China to start off uh, the wee hours of the morning for us, but, but they've already had worship in places like Iraq in the Middle East. And uh, so many nations where they do not have the freedoms, they do not enjoy the religious freedom. That's why I always make, uh, even during the uh, political season, sometimes I, I may not like the personalities of any of those running for election, but but I always make religious freedom a priority because even if there is a uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar in leadership from time to time, you want to know that you have the freedom to proclaim the Word of God. And so in many of these nations, they don't even have that freedom. And so you know what? When they gathered, they did not worry about disrespecting one another. They didn't worry about whether or not the um, uh, church showed the proper uh, uh, format and formality in their service. Uh, They did not argue or complain about the style of music or the temperature in the room. In some places they were much colder, in some places they were much hotter. They did not um, worry about their personal comfort. They didn't worry about the sermon being too long, as services may have gone three and four and five hours in places. Instead, they were giving thanks because they were free to gather to worship. They were uh, giving thanks in some places, not because they were free, because in some places they absolutely were not free according to the political environment, but they were giving thanks that they had survived, that they had lived through their time of worship, and they were willing to even die if it meant die. Indeed, some around the world will give their very life for their faith. Paul's writing into a world that is more like that of the persecuted church in the world than it is like what we live in. Sometimes we miss some things along the way. And so when we read these letters, we always need to be thinking about that original audience. We need to be thinking about the importance of 
Paul writing those letters to people that were in places that were very real and sometimes very hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, not only do we not experience that hostility so much in our nation, but in the world that we live in the past two decades anyway, we've even lost the art of letter writing. People don't have to write letters like this anymore. Why? Because kids go off to college. I see this with some of the students I teach, but they can Skype mom and dad. They have a little FaceTime with their parents. Uh, They text, and they text with all of these abbreviated terms that many of us will need to be, uh, have interpreted one day. But with social media and the ability to video message around the world, we've kind of lost the art of letter writing. In the first century, however, these letters were authoritative substitutes for the apostles themselves. When that scroll came and it was unrolled and it was read to the congregation, it was as if the apostle himself was there presenting these things. It was as if Paul was saying, listen, you Christians in Rome, we we need to talk about some things. Oh, I, I want to be there, but because I can't and I haven't arrived there yet, and what was different about the letter to the Romans was that Paul had not been there yet. With these other letters, he's writing back to places that he had been and established certain relationships. But Paul often began with expressing words of gratitude. Thanks at the very beginning. It says in verse 8, first, first thing I want to do is I want to say a big thanks. I want you to know that I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you. And so he gives a word of thanks, and in letter after letter after letter, as we'll see this morning, he will start off with a word of thanksgiving. Now, what was the purpose of that? What was it accomplishing? Obviously, God commands us to be a grateful people. We should be a people who give thanks to him for all the great things that he is doing in our lives. We should thank him for who he is as well as what he does because it's out of his character that he acts. And so just out of pure command, we should give thanks, and Paul gives thanks. But I want you to see how Paul's gratitude enhanced the power of encouragement. By being a grateful person, he was able to accomplish a couple things with all of his letters. The first thing that I want you to understand as we look at these different passages is that his, his gratitude communicated the priorities that are worth being encouraged. In other words, when he said, man, I want you to know what I'm thankful for, he, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was going to reveal to us some things that if Paul is thanking the church for these things under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, then those things must be important. And they're all kingdom-related. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, other things that we are even thankful for, will be added unto you. But first we're to seek his kingdom. And so here Paul is going to give thanks in letter after letter after letter in a way that reveals the priorities of God. And we need to ask ourselves as we see these things, do we, with our spirit of gratitude, encourage other people to do those things that are most important, those best things in life. We'll see what those are in just a moment. Secondly, it not only communicated something, it conditioned the people to receive encouragement in kingdom living. It conditioned them. It prepared their hearts for what he was about to 
encourage them to be about. A critical spirit often squelches opportunity for influence. Many of us in this life want to influence as many people as we possibly can for the glory of God and the kingdom of God. And and when we're involved in positions of leadership and responsibility in the church, certainly we want to be able to influence and move others to be about God's work, God's way. If you want to motivate and encourage someone, it may be in the church, it may be your spouse, it may be your children, it may be your church family, maybe your co-workers, friends, it may be the leaders God has placed in your life. If you want to be an encouragement to other people, have a spirit of gratitude. If you come across with a critical spirit, then it will squelch your opportunity to influence no matter how much wisdom and understanding and passion you bring to something. Without a spirit of gratitude, it will often be rejected. I've learned again and again and again, my ability to argue is not going to change anyone. But if I have a grateful spirit and I say, I thank God for you, then that motivates people to want to do what God's calling them to do. And so let's look at five different letters, starting with this one in Romans, five words of thanks to different recipients to see what Paul was thankful for, and we'll kind of consider where he was going in the letter. So we'll we'll see that priority that he was communicating, and we'll see what he was kind of conditioning them for. What did his spirit of gratitude prepare them for? The first one is the one we just read in Romans, the, the reputation of faith. He says, man... I am so thankful because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. People are hearing about what God is doing. And Trinity family, can I just tell you, it blesses my heart when I have people come to me. Even last night, I met uh, several ladies from other churches and from our community that said, man, I am hearing great things about what God's doing in the life of Trinity's people. And that blesses my heart when others hear of your faith. And so, obviously, our faith then must be a big priority for the kingdom of God. May we be a people who take God at his word by faith, believing in what he's called us to be about in such a way that we have a reputation of faith throughout the world. Faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ meant a willingness to change for the church at Rome. He was preparing to write this letter, this this letter to the church, the Christians who had been scattered, many of them by persecution, some of them as Jews who later became believers in Jesus Christ. And it would be Paul's dissertation on the gospel. He's, if you want to know what is the gospel of Jesus Christ, then, then Romans gives you that theological understanding of what the gospel is all about. He was going to be encouraging them to leave relig- religious traditions behind and embrace a new covenant, a new way of relating with God. Some of them had had grown up in that that Jewish environment, and now that God that they had always worshipped, they're going to have access through his son, Jesus Christ, and they needed to accept the message of the death and the burial and resurrection. For others, their traditions were outside of Judaism, but there were many, obviously, in the Roman world who worshipped the Greek gods and all kinds of pagan deities, and so they are now coming to faith in the one true and living God. They could not be polytheistic anymore. They had to trust in Christ alone for their salvation, and so he's saying, man, this is going to take great faith, 
And as we come to a knowledge of Christ, it still continues to take faith to be willing to change, to say God is doing something new in our midst, and we're willing to change our traditions, not the Word of God, not our theology, but we're willing to change our traditions in order to get in on what God's doing, in order to grow, in order to be about our mission. And so he was conditioning them to do what he was doing in Romans 1.16 where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to all who will believe, the Jew first and also the Greek. He was preparing them to go forth in that same spirit and say, listen, this is different. It's a new day. It's a different day. And we're going to communicate the gospel with whatever it takes. And so I am grateful for what God's done in the life of our church, but may that gratitude that we share with one another motivate us and encourage us to be willing to change and let go of our traditions in order to take the gospel to all nations, starting right here in our own community. Now, the next letter I want you to see is his introduction to the letter to the church at Corinth. And so if you'll flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians follows Romans, comes right before 2 Corinthians. So if you'll find your place, look at verses uh, 3 and 4 in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to see that he moved from faith and being grateful of their faith being reported. Now he's talking to a church and he's thankful for the richness of God's grace. The richness of God's grace. Reputation of faith in Rome, but now the richness of God's grace. Did you find it? Now, he introduces, this is a common statement that you'll see in Paul's letters, but in verse 3 he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. By the way, we can't have peace with God unless we experience God's grace because apart from God's grace, we're at hostility against God. We are at enmity with God. And so by his grace, he saves us and gives us peace with the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, I always thank my God for you, Why? Because of God's grace given to you in Christ Jesus. While he extended that grace in his understanding of the gospel to the Romans, now he's going to express special thanks for it right here. When when grace is married to faith, then the redeeming power of God becomes the offspring of that grace-faith relationship. And, And so he's communicating this wonderful grace that what you have is by grace. All that God has blessed you with is by grace. You can't be religious enough. You can't be good enough. You can't serve enough in the church. You can't do enough good works in the community or go on enough mission trips to earn God's grace. By definition, grace is God's unmerited favor. And God shows us grace through his son, Jesus Christ, even though we're unworthy and we're undeserving. That's hard for us to understand. Now, we are kind of moving from a a place where we're not careful. We begin to take that grace even for granted. Oh, there are some that are still trying to work and earn their salvation, and there are others that act like God owes them something, and God owes us nothing. If we all got what we deserve, it would be eternity separated from Christ in hell because one sin causes us to be separated from the holy and awesome God. You realize the United States government now has 235 entitlement programs? 
And, and so it's hard for people to grow up in a nation and be grateful for anything because we always feel like everything is owed to us. And, and we've got a new generation we're bringing along. If we don't teach them the grace of God and a Christian ethic about our work, we'll see a generation come up and think that everything is owed to them, that every, we're entitled. What is Paul going to do with this? Why, why is he talking about the richness of grace? Well, the church at Corinth was not known to be living like they should. The, the church at Corinth was struggling with all kinds of sin. There was division in the church. People had formed cliques and started to say, well, I'm in this group. Well, I'm in that group. Well, we're doing it right. No, we're doing it right. And so there was this division that was going on. There was a self-centeredness. They were kind of strutting with their spiritual gifts and saying, I'm more spiritual than you. I'm closer to God than you. I'm deeper in the things of God than you are. I wish you could all be like me. Then they were tolerating sexual immorality, gross sexual immorality in the church, things that were, were unmentioned that Paul had to address. And then there was ignorance. All of this was going on, and Paul is saying, listen, this is going to be a tough letter to write. I'm going to have to deal with some things I'd rather not deal with. It was almost one of those letters, don't make me come over there letters. You don't want to see me face-to-face kind of letters. I remember when when, when I was a kid, and sometimes we were getting it, I don't know, I was always a good bit older, and Toby is a good thing because he'd probably beat my tail if he was older than me. But anyway, we, we might get to wrestling around, and, and we may dropping things upstairs and all that, and our dad would say, don't make me come up there. And he really didn't want to walk up the stairs anyway, but we thought, man, it would be bad news if he did. So we'd be wrestling around, or we'd be uh, fussing and fighting, whatever, we'd hear that, don't make me come up there. Sometimes Paul's letters were like that, and he's telling the church at Corinth, listen, man, I'm, I'm so grateful for the grace of God. By the way, you're going to need it. You're really going to need the grace of God. You're going through so much. And listen, when we thank God for his grace, it still opens the door of opportunity for us to be an encouragement to people on what God can do in their lives. Because apart from grace, the church at Corinth, they had no hope whatsoever. But all of us are in the same boat, and we need to show one another that same kind of grace. That should be a part of our communication as it was Paul. In Colossians chapter 4, and verse 6, Paul would tell the church at Colossae, let your speech be with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to respond to each person. He said, this grace was given to me in, in the book of Ephesians, that I might preach among the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. There was something about even the ability to confront sin or articulate the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, it's only by grace I can do these things. And, and as we talk to one another, as we encourage one another, let our words be with grace. What does grace mean? Unmerited favor, better than we deserve. Here's what that looks like today in the 21st century. It means talk to people better than they deserve to be talked to. It may be your children. It may be your parents. It may be classmates, it may be teachers, it may be students, it may be co-workers, it may be your employer, but you speak to them better than you believe they deserve to be talked to. Because sometimes if we're, if we're not grateful for the grace of God that we needed in our own life, then we're not going to show too much grace to others. And so that spirit of ingratitude comes out with words like this, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. 
And when I hear somebody say that, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. I want to say, don't. The mind's a terrible thing to waste. You need to hold on to as much of yours as you possibly can. You may not have enough to give away. Let your speech be with grace. Maybe that telemarketer that called you needs Jesus. I don't know what we want to do. We we all want to say, hey, give me your home number, and I'll call you at home and talk to you about this. And they'll say, I'm not giving you my home number. And then you'll say, now now you know how I feel, right? (laughs) Just start preaching the gospel. You you, you might win them, or they might hang up in a hurry. Who knows? Speak to people better than the richness of God's grace. Number three, the remembrance of fellowship in the gospel. Look look at the uh, letter to the church at Philippi, Philippians chapter 1. So we have a reputation of faith. We have the richness of God's grace that we're thankful for. And then in Philippians 1, 3 through 5, Paul says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with you or with, with joy for all of you in my very prayer. This is going to be a book of joy. This is, this is going to be a book that teaches us how to not lose our joy and to rejoice in hard times in life. Anybody going through a difficult season of life and you lose your joy, Philippians is that letter that tells you to, to rejoice in the Lord always. He says, but I'm giving thanks with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So the remembrance of fellowship in the gospel Expressing encouragement and confidence in the work that God is doing. Man, so glad that we're all on the same team and that we're together in this service. I think of uh, perhaps Psalm 100 came to Paul's mind where it says that we're to come into his presence with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Before we read those words, that same psalm tells us to serve the Lord with gladness. There should be a joy in our hearts. So when we remember the fellowship in the gospel, here's what I've discovered. If you're on a ministry team or you go on a mission trip, you're involved with a small group of people that are serving the Lord together, be it right here in the church through these doors in the community, or halfway around this world somewhere. When you're on a ministry team, it is important that you serve with gladness, that you serve with joy in your heart. Yes, it's okay to make it fun, because if you're not having a good time, guess what? Nobody else is going to want to serve with you. But if you want to build the kingdom and encourage others, be grateful for the opportunity to have fellowship, sometimes what God is doing that's even bigger than the service. Last night as we had all of these men that looked like a bunch of Mormons with their black pants and white shirts serving all of these ladies in here. What else was going on at that time is there were some men who didn't know each other well that were getting to know one another, laughing, encouraging one another behind the scenes. While the ladies were fellowshipping out here together, those men were standing back there waiting on plates but laughing and telling stories and getting to know men they didn't even know. They were serving the Lord with gladness. And so as you begin to serve the Lord, serving with your family as a parent, serving as a pastor, serving with friends, have such a spirit of gratitude for that fellowship that you have in the gospel that it becomes a contagious 
joy that others want to be a part of what you're doing and you're encouraging the kingdom in that process. And so you have the remembrance of the fellowship of the gospel. Look at the receptivity of the truth. 1 Thessalonians, this is the fourth one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. He says, also, this is why we constantly thank God, because when you received the message about God, you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as a human message, but as it truly is, the message of God, which also works effectively in you believers. The receptivity of the truth. Later on in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3, He says, we must always thank God for you, brothers, which is fitting since your faith is flourishing and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. He says, man, you received the word of God and and now you're loving each other. I I think of what John said in 3 John 1, 4 when he says, I have no greater joy than to see that my children are walking in the truth. Now, these letters that Paul was writing to the Thessalonians, he was about to encourage them, look out for false prophets. Be ready because they're coming. But I'm rejoicing that you received the truth and I have confidence that you're going to stand strong. And then finally, one of my favorite letters, one of the short, shortest letters that Paul wrote, one of the shortest books of the Bible, one of the shortest letters in the New Testament, the book of Philemon. In Philemon, we see he give thanks for the refreshment of the heart. He says in verse 4, I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers because I hear of your love and faith toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. For I have great joy and encouragement from your love. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. He's saying, man, I I just want to thank God. Because in your service, the way you have served, the way you have opened your home, the way you've ministered your community, you have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Now, he was about to challenge Philemon to forgive Onesimus and to not treat him as a slave anymore, but treat him as a brother. This was going to be a shift in his way of thinking. But he says, I trust that you'll want to refresh the hearts of the saints again. Are you thankful for people God has placed in your life that have refreshed your hearts? Express that gratitude to them and open doors to encourage them in that process. Remember what he's doing with all of this was something we all need to be about. And that is communicating the priorities of God because now you have five priorities for the kingdom. But also opening doors of leadership and influence opportunity because you're conditioning people's hearts to receive it. If you don't have a spirit of gratitude, a, a, a sweet spirit of thanksgiving in your tone, Again, no matter how smart you are, no matter how hard you work, no matter what a position or a title is you hold, if there's not a sweet spirit of gratitude about you, people aren't likely to receive it well. 
But if you have that spirit of thanksgiving, that spirit of gratitude, it will condition the hearts around you to receive your influence in their life. Would you pray with me? Fathers, we give thanks and as we prepare to partake at the table of the Lord, I pray that you would help us to be so thankful for what you've done in our lives. We are unworthy and undeserving. By your grace that we receive through faith, we believe in the Jesus who died for our sins and rose victoriously from the grave. So, Lord, before we come to the Lord's table, help prepare our hearts. Make us grateful so that we might share your grace with others, your joy with others, that we might refresh the hearts of the saints. We pray all this in Jesus' name.